0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area.
1: Matthew chapter 24, if you'd open up your Bibles there, please. We have been blessed in these past few weeks to engage in a In a most important study, we are looking at these two chapters of Matthew 24 and 25 that are called the Olivet Discourse. And this is where Jesus was teaching his disciples about his second coming. And the important thing for them at this particular point in Jesus' teaching is for them to understand that the time for the kingdom was not then. It wasn't in his first advent, but most assuredly they needed to know this, and you need to know it as well, that there is coming a time when Jesus will have a messianic kingdom, a literal kingdom on this earth. That is coming. But this coming kingdom of Jesus Christ is not one that's going to be characterized by a baby that's born in a manger. It's not going to have Herods who are who will have to inquire diligently of wise men where the king might be found, but rather when Jesus Christ comes, he comes in stunning power and glory so that no one is going to miss him when he comes again. It's not going to be obscure. Now as Jesus continued to explain about his return, he moved beyond the signs of his coming and he said the signs of his coming were seven years of tribulation. And of course, there I'm not talking about the rapture, but I'm talking about uh, the time of the actual second coming when he comes in his kingdom. He explains to them about that. He goes beyond the signs of, uh, of those things, and he says these signs of the tribulation will be the worst that the world has ever seen. And yet, despite all the many signs that will be shown, the world will not heed them, and neither will they believe them. And essentially, people are not going to be ready when Christ... Christ returns. And this section is about the wonder of surprise of Christ's return when in reality no one should be surprised at all. Now I'd like you to look at Matthew chapter 24 and we're going to backtrack over a few verses that we've already covered and that'll help to lead us into the section that I want to discuss today. So we're going to start reading at verse number 36 and you can stand again if you would please and we'll stretch a little bit here and Read this passage and you'll get to sit for a long, long time in just a few minutes. Verse number 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore... For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of." and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, as we look into this passage today to really understand how important it is to watch and to be ready for your return. We just give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you'll notice verse number 42 again, we see these words, watch... Therefore, And I always tell you, as so many preachers do, that when you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And the word therefore always tells us that a conclusion is about to be reached. And in this particular passage, he says to watch therefore, because you need to watch and be ready, because you don't know the hour that Jesus is going to return. And what Jesus is pointing out, of course, is the suddenness of his coming. There are two examples that precede verse number 42 and two examples that follow. And the key word that hinges between these four examples that Jesus gives about this suddenness of his return is that word watch. That is the Greek word Gregorio. It's the same word from which the Spanish and Italians get the name Gregorio. The same one that in English is translated as Gregory. And so if your name is Gregory, you might not have known this, but your parents actually gave you a Bible name. That name means to watch. And so the command here is to watch, to be ready, because no one does know the hour that Christ will return. Now, as you know, if you've been with us in these series of messages, I I have consistently pointed out that this chapter is not talking to us about the rapture. Although there are many people that take these verses and apply them to the rapture, this is after the rapture. And we know this because Jesus says in verse number 29, immediately after the tribulation, The rapture comes before the tribulation, so he's not talking here about the rapture. And I wanted to be clear about that, and I wanted you to understand the context in which Jesus is speaking, but also I I do think that it's fair for us to make some analogies here so that we can actually switch between the rapture and the second coming of Christ and say that there are certain characteristics that are very much alike. In neither case are people going to be ready when Christ returns. Now, as I said, there are four illustrations in verse 37 through verse 51. And they speak of the suddenness of Christ's return, about watching and being ready. And the first one that Jesus gave was the example of Noah. He said, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah that people were not ready when God sent the flood that even though Noah had spent 120 years preaching and warning people about the coming destruction, yet people went on as if Noah didn't preach at all. And uh, during the time of the flood, they even saw animals that were streaming to the ark, a very strange phenomenon, and yet they did not understand and they didn't believe that, that the flood was actually coming, that judgment was coming upon the world. And so the flood came and it swept them all away. And even with all the war, warnings they were none the wiser and jesus said when he comes it's going to be like that whether it's the rapture whether it's the kingdom and either time there are people that will go about their business doing as they always did and not heeding the warnings then the second example he gave was of workers in the field and women that are grinding at the mill And the point of that illustration is to tell us that there's coming a great separation. That people will be separated. The saved are going to be separated from the lost. One is going to be taken and the other one will be left. And I showed you that... In the rapture that, and the kingdom, they're a little bit different in this respect. That in the rapture, the one that's left is going to go into the tribulation time, the time of judgment of the tribulation. The one that's taken away is that believer in Jesus Christ who is caught up, and that's the word rapture, it's caught, he is caught up to meet Jesus in the air. But when we talk about the kingdom, the flip side happens, and that is that the one who is left is the one who goes into the glorious kingdom of Jesus Christ upon this earth. And the one that's taken away is the one who's taken away to eternal judgment, where he's going to spend eternity in hell. But the main point of all of that is separation. There's a separation between the saved and the lost and there's an element of shock here that one person shall be taken and another person shall be left. Now if you've ever had any thoughts about the universal fatherhood of God, you can dispel all those notions right here because this tells us that there is a difference between people. There are believers and there are unbelievers. And if you think that God is not going to send people to hell, then you need to change your mind because right here Jesus gives death to that doctrine. This text says that God is going to separate people. Believers are separated from unbelievers. And if you look down at verse number 51, you'll see that unbelievers are taken away into torment where Scripture says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, we need to move on in our outline and we're going to discuss this last section of this chapter and we're going to see what the Lord says about watching while we wait for his return. And today I want to give you three reasons that you need to watch for the Lord's return. Number one is that we must watch in order to be prepared. Now, very simply, watch so that you're not caught off guard. Watchfulness actually signals preparation. And Jesus repeated this that you need to watch because you're not privy to any kind of information that tells you when he's going to return. And he follows that with a third illustration by comparing his return to the surprise of a thief that breaks into a house. I find this illustration particularly interesting because there are four other times in scripture where the return of Christ is compared to a thief. Uh, let me give you those four references rather quickly. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Second Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. In Revelation 3, verse number 3, Jesus said, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And then in Revelation 16:15, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And walking naked and seeing the shame is the same thing as saying totally unprepared. Now, you can see that there is a mixture of references here. Some of these references refer to the rapture. Some of them refer to the timing of the kingdom. But the operative thing here in both of these is watchfulness. Watchfulness because it is impossible to know when a thief is coming. A thief never announces his arrival. He's not going to send you a note that says, I'm going to be there at 3 a.m., so please leave out the milk and the cookies. A thief comes by surprise, and that's the genius of thievery, I would suppose. Well, you see here that Jesus is using just a very common illustration it wasn't his purpose to in this last teaching opportunity to try to confuse his disciples with very deep theological questions he just talks about a thief and they would recognize what he's talking about now I'd like to take just a second here to talk to you about thieves it's very strange that Jesus would compare himself to a thief wouldn't you think so But he's not a thief. He's not saying that. He's just pressing the point here of uncertainty, the very need to be watchful. And the operative point here is this illustration that if the owner of the house had been prepared as he should have been, then he would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Now that's an interesting phrase that's used in Scripture, broken up. And that's interesting because when we think of a thief, we usually don't think of a thief coming in and breaking up. We, we, a thief comes to steal stuff he doesn't come to break things up and so what does that mean well the original Greek says this that the man of the house would not have allowed his house to be dug through he wouldn't allow his house to be dug through and this is what thieves would do they would often dig through the sides of those clay houses to gain entrance and when they did that it would leave a horrible mess in the house And that dig through method coming into the side of the house was what they would often do when they wanted to stay away from the traffic that was on the street so the thief wouldn't be seen trying to gain entrance into the house. But of course, that's a very noisy method. And so when they wanted to be quiet, perhaps if the owner was at home, they wouldn't dig through the side of the house, but they would try to gain entrance through the door. Now, I want you to listen to the Old Testament law concerning thieves breaking into houses. And those of you that are thieves, you might want to remember this. Uh, This is about thieves breaking into houses. And some of you Second Amendment gun owners, you'll also like this very much. Exodus 22, verse number 2. If a thief be found breaking up and be smitten that he die, there shall no blood be shed for him. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be bloodshed for him. For he should make full restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Now, we notice a difference here. That if a thief were to break in during the day, that you weren't allowed to kill him. It was assumed that if he broke in during the day, that all he intends to do is to steal. He's not really there to harm anybody. But if a thief breaks in during the night then you could just assume for your own safety and for that of your family that he's there not only to steal, but he may in fact kill somebody. And so what you were allowed to do, you were allowed to kill the thief without any reprisal. So I suppose that those of you that are gun owners, you might just sit there in the living room in your favorite chair with your forty-five Magnum and you would wait for the thief to come in. And as soon as he came through the front door, you would plow him through with a, with a 45 slug. And armed with your 45, in Exodus chapter 22, you'd be just fine. The Bible says that's all right. Well, Jesus' point here is not about killing thieves. So those of you would like to, this is, don't get all excited about it. Because that's not what he's talking about. He's talking here about being ready. And being ready when he comes... But as we look at that, we've seen that he's already given us an example of being ready. Why does he keep going through this? Why does he repeat this? He's already given us the example of Noah. That's about being ready. Why this thing about a thief and a thief breaking up? Well, the reason for this is because in this illustration, there is a new dimension that's been added. What does a thief come to do? He comes to steal your valuables. And the reason that you lock your windows and your doors and you have an AK-47 under your bed and you have a pit bull and you have razor wire on top of your fence and you have a minefield in the front yard and you have trip wires on the doors and you have an alarm and you have searchlights like Stalag 17. The reason is because a thief comes to steal your stuff. And you don't want anybody to steal your stuff. Your stuff means a lot to you. Well, Jesus is not really interested in all of your stuff. But I can tell you this, that when he comes, all of your stuff is going to be taken away. And the real point that's brought out here is that there is something that is much more valuable to you than all of your stuff. You also have a soul. And if you can be so concerned about keeping your stuff, the very things that you can never take with you, why can't you be concerned about your soul? Your soul has eternal value. Your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. Why aren't you concerned about your soul? And this is why Jesus says, Be ready, because the thief may come. You need to be concerned about your soul. Now listen to what Jesus says in Matthew sixteen twenty-six. He says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In Matthew six nineteen, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now do you see what he's telling us here? Do you understand what is it that you have that's the most valuable? He's not a thief that's interested in your stuff although just like the people in verse 41 and 42 somebody's going to be taken everything's going to be left behind there's not a thing that you're going to be able to take with you and when Jesus comes your house is going to be left desolate and your soul's going to be taken away into eternal torment. Now, when the Lord comes the judgment is worse than what a thief can do to you. When a thief comes, he steals only what he can carry away. He can't carry everything usually, so he takes just what he can. But when God comes, he says, I'm taking everything away, including your soul. Listen to these interesting verses. Jeremiah 49, verse 9. If grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they have enough. Obadiah 1 verse 5, If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How do you get the point here? When gleaners come to pick the grapes off of the vines, they can't get them all, and so some are left behind, even by the law. The law said you have to leave some behind. You leave them for the poor and those who don't have anything to eat. So the gleaners leave something behind. When a thief comes, he usually can't haul away all of your stuff. If you're like me, you got too much stuff. It would take 20 thieves 20 years to get all of your stuff. So he can't haul it all away. He takes what he can carry. But the example here, what he's trying to show here, is that when God comes, he takes it all. When God comes, he says, I'm taking everything. I'm stripping the fields bare. I'm taking everything out of your house. And so he says, you need to fear the one who takes your soul and takes it all. Now the second reason for this illustration is really the whole point. That you have to watch. If you aren't prepared, the Lord will come. And you won't have any idea that he's coming. He's coming at an unexpected time. He comes at a day and an hour when you don't think. And that parallelism that we have there, the day and the hour, that's put there to show you it is useless for you to try to figure this out. And so what you must do is go in the opposite direction. You have to have a different mindset. You have to be in the constant vigilance mode. You have to be in that sweeping night vision goggle mode. So you're looking for Jesus because he's going to come and if you're not watching, it'll be too late. Well, we move then to verse number 45 where Jesus enters upon a second illustration for our text. This is the fourth one overall and that's the story of a faithful servant and an evil servant. Now that tells us, secondly, that we are to watch to be approved. Now let's split it up into two parts because it's obvious here that one of these servants is a Christian, the other one is not. And so first we'll look at the Christian. This is the one who is faithful. This is the servant of God who's always looking to be approved by his master. Verse number 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Now the story is about a wealthy man who has servants, who has slaves, and he goes away and he leaves a trusted servant in charge of his household. Now we'll skip to the chase here rather quickly. The obvious thing here is this refers to God. More particularly it refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to understand that the servant that's spoken of here actually means a slave. That the Lord is the master of the slave. And putting it even more simply to you, you are the slave. And Christ is your master. And your master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is gone at the present. He's not here in the world physically and bodily. He's gone in the present and his house is the earth. And you have been left in charge of his house. You are a steward over the Lord's house. Now some take this to mean the pastors of churches, the ministers in the churches. I think it applies to every person who is a child of God. That all of us are God's people, all of us are stewards, and we are put in charge of running the affairs of Christ while He is away. Now, some of you are very good at that, some of you are not so good. Some of you take your responsibility very seriously, and some of you are about as useless as udders on a bull. What does it actually mean? You know, I get that. What does that actually mean? to watch for the Lord's return well we do believe that he's going to return we have the expectation that he will return what does that actually mean to watch for him do you go outside and look up all day long and see if he's coming back Do you have a telescope in your bedroom window and you stare at the sky at night and you hope to get a glimpse of somewhere up there Jesus is making plans and he's on his way back. It'll take a while to get here, but he's coming and so we got to look for him. Is that what he means? Well, he's not talking about watching in that way. When the Bible talks about watching for the Lord, it means for us to be busy about his work. It means for us to exercise throughout our lives the the gifts of the Spirit. You can read those in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and other places where it talks about the gifts of God's Spirit. And we are to be faithful to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. And the Bible says that when you do that, when you are are practicing those things, you are actually watching for Him. And what you are supposed to do is to do the very same things that the Master would do if He was here. Now... He gives the children, this good servant, gives the children their food at the right time. Now, there was nothing more important to the master of the house than to make sure that his family was taken care of, that they were properly fed. I mean, the master cares for nothing like he cares for what happens to his house. Other servants are left in charge of the fields. Servants are left in charge of the inventory at the barn. Servants are left in charge of the livestock. But the one who is the most important is the servant who's left in charge of the Lord's house. That's the one he's concerned with. The slaves of the house. And that means that we are to care for his house. Just as if the master was here and he could watch every move that we make. And maybe you didn't know it. But he is here, and he is watching every move that we make, and he's keeping an account of that. He knows even the tiniest thought that you think. And what he expects is for you to watch over his people as he watches for them, to care for his people as he cares for them. Now let's go over to the book of Philippians for just a minute, where we find the example. In Philippians chapter 2, we have this great passage where... It talks about how the Lord stepped off his throne to become a servant. That he emptied himself of everything. He emptied himself of his riches of all his prestige. And he became a servant and he went down to the death of the cross. Now Paul is about to tell us about that. But let's look how he leads into it in Philippians 2 verse number 1. He said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, and that means compassion, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now there are... Some verses that you can compare yourself to. Are you that kind of servant? Is that the way that you watch for the Lord? Are you more concerned about your comfort and what happens to you? Or are you more concerned about the needs of others? A servant always puts the needs of others in front of himself. He always serves others before he serves himself. Well, last month we had a great example of how to watch for the Lord. Eric was in the hospital, and uh, Lucy was there with him every day. And she told me that before she could even ask, there was somebody on their way to pick up her kids and to take care of them. And the ladies had put a network together to take care of those kids for as long as it took so Lucy could be with her husband at the hospital. That's how you watch for the Lord. People like that are approved by the Lord. Because they show the same compassion that he showed. Last month, it's Lord's Supper time, I talked about visiting Jack Campbell at the nursing home. Have you been? Have you prayed for him? Have you even thought about him? Did you know that there are just a few members of Brian Baptist Church that even bother to pick up a prayer page every week where they can see the names of people that we're praying for and to pray for them? Have you done that? Are you approved by the master by watching for his children? Are you watching for him in that way? You know, it seems that there are some of you that can take church or leave it. You come or you don't come. You don't have very much interest in the people of the church and what's going on in their lives. There is no approval for the watchman unless there is the practice of people actually watching over others. This is the way that you do it. Now glance over to chapter 25 and verse number 44. We're going to get to this a little bit later on in another message, but here it beautifully illustrates this point. And I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole context of this, but you'll pick it up rather quickly. That these are people, it's talking about people who stand in judgment before God and they are not faithful servants. They haven't helped others. And in verse 44, then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as much as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. If you ignore God's people, then you ignore Jesus Christ. So how do you watch for Jesus? You take on the responsibility of helping others. Don't always primp and care about yourself all the time. Stop looking at your own things. Look on the needs of others. Jesus said, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. And do you understand this, that this is actually the only way that you can be in love with Christ? This is not take-it-or-leave-it stuff. This is the way that you are in love with Christ and you can actually love his appearing. 1 John 4 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Can I ask you a question? Who have you not seen? Anybody here seen Jesus Christ? None of you have. How can you love Jesus Christ who you have not seen if you don't love your brother? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. 1 John three eighteen. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And there he's telling us, do something. Don't just talk about it. Just don't talk about how you love people. Do something for them. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but listen, all them that love his appearing. If you love Christ appearing, what you will do is to lay up treasures of righteousness in heaven. How? By doing what Christ would do. By loving people the way that Christ loved them. 1 John chapter 2. And now little children abide in him. That when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. To be ashamed is to be unprepared, unapproved, unfaithful, unaware. The question is are you watching to be approved. Now, there's another aspect of the Christian that I want to talk to you about for just a moment. A second aspect of the approved faithful watchman is that you also have to watch your behavior. Now, service is the way that you you love other people. Service is the way that you watch for the Lord. That's primary. But the Bible also says that you must watch yourself. You are to look to yourself, consider yourself. Now, pay attention to me. This is not about loving self. This is about making sure that you are what you are supposed to be. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now, that's love. That's taking care of your brother. That's watching for the Lord. And he follows that up with, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know, there are some of us who think that we are able to solve everybody else's problems. That we've got it all under control. We can tell everybody else what to do. We know how to solve their problems. And we are living on such a high spiritual plane that we can never be tempted. Never be tempted. We don't need to guard our lives, we're too close to God. Look to yourself. Look to yourself as a witness. Do you shine for Christ or is there no light in your cubicle at work? In a week, or rather three days rather, and on the 20th, Wednesday night, we're going to be doing some witnessing. That's a good time to shine. That's a good time to watch for Jesus Christ. Do you spend more time worrying or praying? Are you tender in Sunday school, but you're a shrew to your wife, your husband at home? Do you text and tweet and post anything that would say about you? This is not a Christian. This is not a way a Christian acts. If so, you're not watching for Jesus. What about the grace of giving? Do you support your church? Or do you care that whether the Bream Baptist Church is here at all to preach the gospel to help others and show others how to watch for Jesus Christ? What about your fellowship? Have you looked to yourself in fellowship? Would you rather spend time with people at work or would you rather spend time with God's people? Which is the most fun? Which do you enjoy the most? Now if you're going to be ready when Christ comes, you have to implement God's plan. You can't be a slacker and, and be a faithful servant of God at the same time. And so what happens next? What if you are that faithful servant? Well, Jesus says that the faithful servant is made a ruler in the house of God. Now that just simply means approval. You are approved. Watch to be approved. But then we have the other guy. This is the evil servant. And this one draws us right back into the central illustration of the passage. And that's the need to be prepared and the need to be approved. This is a person who is not watching and not watching is disastrous. Number three, the reason that you need to watch is to watch to avoid being punished. Now that's the whole thing, isn't it? The whole purpose of watching is to avoid what's going to happen to the entire world without Jesus Christ. Verse 41 says, there's that day of separation that's coming. And when you look around you, you can see that most people are not ready for that day of separation. They have no idea that it's coming. So he says in verse number 48... But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is the man who is the evil servant. But pay attention to this. He is still a... Servant, He still has a Lord over him. He is a slave and the plain truth of the matter is he is under the master whether he wants to be or not. He is under the master whether he accepts that or not, whether he believes it or not, whether he acknowledges it or not. He has a Lord that rules over him and he must give an account of his stewardship of his life. Every person is a slave in the kingdom of God. And every person is going to give an account of himself. And if you don't believe that, just go back to Philippians chapter 2 and read some more. And there you'll come to the place where it says, Every knee shall bow. That means every knee. You know, I like the way Janet sang it a little while ago. Bow the knee. That was talking about a Christian who really acknowledges who Jesus is. And they bow because he does all things well. When I'm talking about bowing the knee, I'm talking about bow or getting knocked on the head. Bow or get sent to hell. Every knee is going to bow. Now the wicked servant, he has his own plan for the household. His plan is a personal plan and he's at the very center of it. The servant echoes the words of the people that are in Noah's time. Where is the Lord? He hasn't come back. He delays his coming. Yesterday is just like Today, today is going to be just like tomorrow. It's all the same. He left. He hasn't come back. He's never coming back. And so the evil servant says, I have time. I have plenty of time. Someone has said that the great devil's greatest deception is to make people believe there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time to do everything that I want. Have you ever noticed what almost always happens when there's too much time? Parents, know you leave your kids alone for a little while and you'll notice that things start to get eerily quiet and when you go to check on them you see that they haven't been sitting on their hands they've made use of their time and it's rarely very good now with our little granddaughter Jolie give her too much time and the walls have been redecorated with crayons and magic markers or even worse lotion she loves lotion have you ever tried to get lotion off of your walls Too much time. And you know that adults never grow out of this. And we all know the saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. People with nothing to do don't do nothing. And that's not bad grammar. People with nothing to do don't do nothing. And most of the time what they do is evil. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. He was talking about the return of the Lord first two chapters are all about that and he comes close to the end about seven verses from the end and he says for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly working not at all but are busybodies they're walking disorderly working not at all they are busybodies now people that don't work at all are usually working for the devil and i'm not talking about leno he retired at 22 i'm not talking about that kind of work I'm talking about somebody who just is a busybody. uh, And that's what Paul equates, walking disorderly with being a busybody. Faithfulness is watching, being unfaithful is not watching, it's being disorderly. And that's what an evil servant does. And he soon shows what he is by acting out. He doesn't think that the Lord is coming, and so he starts lording it over everybody else. This is the person who has self as his king You know, modern Christianity has that whole thing upside down. What are we taught today? Well, I'm not taught this, but I don't listen to it. I hope you don't either. But just about everybody else has got this thing. You know, they're being taught this, that the most important person on the planet is you. Be true to yourself. Whatever it is that you need to do, do it. God exists for you. God is your sugar daddy. God is your genie. It's all about you. We've got it upside down. And I'll tell you something, when you think like that, you're never going to love other people. You're never going to be concerned about anybody else. You end up in mistreatment of others. And what happens is this world is never going to get a leg up and get this thing right as long as people who claim to be preachers of Jesus Christ, who claim to be preachers of righteousness, are preaching and promoting the philosophy of the Antichrist. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus Christ and it's all about His glory. And everything points to Jesus Christ. And if you don't get that right, you'll never get anything right. Now whether you like it or not, every person belongs to the master. And when you mistreat anybody, you're mistreating God's property. You ever thought about that? When you get mad at somebody on the other side of this room, and you've got this thing against them, and you've cut them off, and heaven forbid that you've defriended them on Facebook... I mean, you, you have trounced on the master's property. And let me take that a little bit closer to your home. The last time that you and your wife had a knockdown drag out in front of the kids, those are activities of people who are not prepared. People that are not watching. This is what the evil servant does he's not watching, he doesn't treat the household the way that the master treats the house. Now a slave owner was smart enough to know that he can't deal too severely with a slave. Slaves part of his economy. He's invested in the slave. And so if he beats a slave to the point that the slave can't work, then he's no more profit to him. What good's the slave? So what he surely doesn't want is another slave that beats the slaves. He doesn't want another slave to be lord over his slaves and beat them so they can't work and endanger the, the profitability of his household. Now, if he can't expect that he can leave and somebody could be in charge who will take care of things but instead beats the servants who is an offender, then that constant offender that won't listen is going to have to be taken care of. For the good of the whole household... That servant will have to be taken care of. And his punishment is not taking his supper away. And his punishment is not giving five days of solitary. No, when this householder, when this owner of the house is offended, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you offend him, it has eternal consequences. The penalty is stiff. Look at verse 51. What will the Lord, what will the Lord do? It says, cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now just to help you out a little bit with that, Jesus has added some hyperbole to his example. He elevates the severity of the judgment by saying that the servant will be cut into pieces. Now the Jews didn't desecrate bodies. They didn't cut people into pieces. They thought that was too cruel. Gentiles would do that, not Jews. So if you ever found a Jew that nailed somebody's head to a wall, then you knew that the disgust was beyond the pale. And this is what Jesus says, how upset God is. Your crimes against him are not light. And so in Matthew 13 it says, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, what's the point that you need to get from that? Well, it's tough stuff. You can't read that and think that Jesus is teaching first grade Sunday school. These aren't Sunday school illustrations. Jesus has nailed down the seriousness of what it will be like for those who are not ready when he returns. To be unprepared not to watch, that is the worst. And if he comes and you're not ready, or if you die and you're not ready, that is the worst. And you can believe it or not, believe it if you want to or not, that doesn't change anything. He's coming back and you will have to bow before him. You will bow before him either in heaven or in hell. And if it's in hell, all is taken away. Your life is gone, your sanity, your peace, your comfort, forever. It's all gone. The thief came, the master came, and you weren't ready. Now let me read from the book of Acts and we'll close with this. Paul appeared before the Roman governor Felix in Acts 24 And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. Classic illustration of not being ready he said I will call for you at a more convenient time everybody thinks there's more time the Lord has delayed his coming so we have got time it hasn't started to rain yet and so we've got plenty of time and they go on today just like they did yesterday Felix never found time Noah was there with the ark and Felix was not going to get in Paul was there with the gospel telling him it's heaven or hell and he wasn't going to believe. And so for 2,000 years Felix has been in hell thinking he should have said this is the best time. Please tell me how I can be saved today. Now was that you? Are you waiting for another time to believe? Are you waiting for a more convenient time to believe? And if you do that, you're going to be in the same place as those who are outside of the ark. And you're going to be in the same place as the one who's taken in the field. And you'll be in the same place as the evil servant. And you'll be in the same place as Felix, who never trembled nearly as much as he should have. Don't let that be you. Come to Jesus Christ's today repent and believe and then you'll be prepared repent and believe in jesus christ and then you are approved by god repent and believe and you will not be punished so what do you need to do you need to watch what are you doing what are you spending your life doing are you actually watching watch while you wait that's what scripture says Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. Most solemn subject that we could ever talk about. People stand today between heaven and hell. I know, Lord, that there most likely are some lost people in this congregation. And maybe they've been putting this off. Maybe they never think about it. Maybe they haven't looked inside. They haven't considered anything that you're coming back. But you've told us that we must be prepared. And Christians who live every day in unpreparedness may very well not be Christians at all. And that's the reason they're unprepared. Lord, I do pray that you'd open up the hearts of people today. Make them examine their lives. Are they truly in the faith? Make sure because there are no second chances here. Once you come or once a person dies, that is the end. Help people to realize that we need to know you today. Bless in this time that we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928.